Okay, let's do some quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. That's obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. To reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. Here's the thing. Information is power. Information is money. Literally, the currency of today's world of, of entrepreneurship is information. And if you could bring all of the, your, the information about your business into one dashboard, this is incredibly valuable. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of the truth about your business. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite and you're improving efficiency by bringing all of your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. This is so valuable. You just hit a button and you can see all the information about your business instead of having to like call five different departments and get all these emails and put it all together and make sense of it. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math, see how you'll profit with NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash james, netsuite.com slash james netsuite.com slash james this isn't your average business podcast and he's not your average host this is the james altucher show today on the james altucher show so Peter Bogosian was on the podcast a couple months ago talking about how to have impossible conversations. But right now, I wanted to talk to Peter about something specifically happening in his life. He basically quit Portland State University for a very interesting reason, and he couldn't even have an impossible conversation about it. So this is a part one and part two. Part one would kind of describe the general background of what was happening at his university that made him quit and what did he try to do and did he try to do his own techniques and part two which is also available today describe specifically what happened to him on campus and how he dealt with it so peter even though we're going to be talking about a bunch of different things and i'll talk a little bit more about this and why it's important right now and what's happened to you Maybe you can give just a slight background for the listeners. What happened to you specifically at the university you were teaching at? I was teaching at Portland State University and I resigned my position. I found it insufferable. I'm trying to think of a politic word. I couldn't think of one uh, where the longer I stayed, the more I had to compromise my integrity and I couldn't do what I was hired to do. So I couldn't stay in good conscience. But was there a specific event that, that triggered it? You mean, was there a straw that broke the camel's back? Y yeah, there was. Um, I tried to get a meeting with the president uh, of Portland State University, five minutes, and I emailed repeatedly, and I was told by his office that he was, quote, too busy, unquote. 
I finally managed to secure a meeting with a dean. And it was a very, very, very brief meeting. This individual had no desire to speak with me whatsoever, as was obvious. And I said to this individual, you know that Portland State University is, is on FIRE's list of the top 10 worst schools in the country for free speech. Now, FIRE is Greg Lukianoff's organization, Foundation for Individual Rights in Education. He's Jonathan Haidt's writing partner. They wrote The Coddling of the American Mind, among other things. Best-selling book. Yes, correct. And the dean said something that just totally blew my mind. The dean said, it's a good thing to be on those lists. And, and I realized that, that the environment and the culture they've created, that's not a bug, that's a feature. So, right, so, so let's get specific. Like, like, what did he mean? Like, obviously, he, he meant something very specific with that. Like, he assumed something bad about the people who, who made those lists. So what does he think no, free speech No, I don't, no, I don't think that's it at all. I think that his conception of free speech is at odds with the ideology that they're pushing. Now, you, you also have to remember the context for this is that the president of Portland State University has repeatedly said publicly, and again, nobody's hiding this, James. They're screaming this from the rooftop. Right. right. Racial justice is the highest priority of the institution, the highest priority of the institution. Let's say he believes that, because, like, obviously, physics, mechanical engineering, computer science, some schools believe those are the most important because they create. No, Tesla's no, and spaceships. no, 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 I have, I'm sorry. I have to pause you. I have, I'm sorry. I have to pause you. Those aren't schools. Those are colleges. This is the university. There's a difference. Colleges comprise a university. He is saying that racial justice is the highest priority of the university. Okay. And I'm, I'm just trying to put this. So of the university in general, not of his university of university teaching of higher education uh, uh no of portland state university okay i'm just trying to understand so that's what i mean is that some schools like let's say mit probably wouldn't say that they would probably say look engineering leads to uh, uh, most innovation in society and as an, a society economically develops so does it so do its systems of social justice and we see this around the world i'm just saying there are other philosophies other like I could put this in a context of a spectrum of other philosophies. Like MIT would say engineering is the highest calling of MIT. And that leads to the same thing. But you're saying, uh, by calling racial justice, the highest calling, you know, that might Priority. be his philosophy, but it's, it's, it, maybe it shouldn't be the, the highest philosophy. I got it. We got to be very careful with what we're saying. Here. We're not saying you should ignore racial justice, but I could see uh, a college like Stanford or MIT saying, listen, Anything that promotes technological innovation is of high purpose because that will later incur that will inc increase economic development, which will increase the arts and literature and social justice and so on, which has historically happened all over the world. You look, you know, there's that saying: you can either trade bullets or or goods. And if you trade goods, that's because of technological and economic innovation, and ultimately that leads to justice for all in in a society. So so. Your argument, and I would agree with this, is that racial justice, you know, shouldn't be the highest. Hold on, let's let's back up. So I'm not saying anything about MIT or Stanford or Yale or 
Bowden or any place. I'm only saying what the president of PSU has said. I, I understand, but I'm putting it in context of what he might mean and in, in terms of a, a spectrum of how these universities might think. He's not just saying it's important. He's saying it's the only, it's the most important thing. That's correct. That's, that's what he's and then, saying. And, and I'm saying, I'm saying that um, what I'm saying is that when he says that he ignores the fact that racial justice or however he defines justice could also come from a study of the arts. It could come from a study of technology and innovation. Uh, and there's a lot of evidence around the world that the more you innovate, the more racial and social justice you have. So I'm, I'm taking your view. I'm just kind of putting it in a broader context. I'm, I'm explaining why he's wrong. Yeah, I, I have a completely different take on why that's wrong. But my claim, my belief is that that's, that shouldn't be. It's ahistorical. There's just no precedent for that. But even if there is, I think it demands a conversation. And I would... I wanted to have a conversation with people at my university about that. I wanted to have a conversation with the deans about that, with the administration. I even want to have a conversation with any media that's uh, center and left of center, and no one will have a conversation. I've tagged people on Twitter. But, but Peter, let me put even a conversation in context. If you were working at like, I don't know what it is. What's that one in South Carolina that's totally evangelical Christian university? Bob Jones. Yeah, yeah. So if, if you, yeah, if you say... Uh, the purpose of this conversation is to promote evangelical belief in, you know, uh, Christianity and you, and you, Peter, were a professor there and you want to have a conversation about that. They would be well within the rights to say, well, no, that's why the university was formed. We're not having a conversation about this, but here's your, you're a professor who's been working at this place for, you know, many years. And suddenly you're being told what your purpose is when you had no idea that that was what the highest purpose of the university was that then, then you're right. That does deserve a conversation. You see what I mean? Like some schools, it wouldn't be a conversation. Yeah, I do. The, the schools in which it ought not to be a conversation or doesn't have to be a conversation are, those are private universities. Portland state university is a tax payer funded public university. Okay. That's another story. Right. So, so basically the high, the purpose of the university is to basically teach people to get jobs and, and, and survive in the public. That's why it's a public school. Well, I mean, anybody, so, so there's a, okay. So we have a lot of things going on here. We have public versus private. We have whether or not we ought to have a conversation about what the purpose of the university should be the highest priority. So, so just let's linger on that for a second. The moment that somebody says that the highest priority of something is X, then by definition, that means if there's a priority conflict or so that's a hierarchically organized racial justice is at top. So if something comes in to con possibly conflict with that, like free speech, by definition, it's not the highest priority. The highest priority is racial justice. So everything else has to, if there's a conflict, it's always adjudicated on the side of racial justice. Right. So, so your, your point is, I, I think your point is twofold. One is you can't just arbitrarily say or change what the highest purpose of the university is. Like if you've been working there for years and you were told, oh, the highest purpose is to give a good education to our kids. And then suddenly the, the dean says, no, the highest purpose is X. And that comes into conflict with what you thought the highest purpose was that deserves an education. Then there's the bigger, maybe more important subject, which is, should that be the highest purpose of a university period? Like there are many Correct. purposes of a university. Why does one thing need to be the highest also? And if it was the highest, why is it this as opposed to a liberal arts education or technology? 
if MIT said to you, the highest purpose of our education is to teach technology, and you're a professor, you wouldn't say, okay, this needs a conversation. It's the Massachusetts Institute <laughs> of Technology. <laughs> yeah. so, that's, that's correct. But here, here's that's a case correct. where, A, you felt like you were being duped because well, I didn't know that, and B, you felt it was wrong. That's correct. And I also want to know why that should be the highest purpose of a university. Like, how was that derived? How did we figure that out? And I think that's a totally reasonable question. Right. And and also there's a definition. What is racial justice? Like, what does that mean? Because there's many different interpretations of that. You know, I, I wrote a book with uh, Charlemagne the God about kind of, um, it's called We, we, we Got Answers. And it's about, uh, uh, you know, the types of questions and concerns African-Americans have. Uh, I interviewed a bunch of, uh, you know, African-American leaders, intellectuals, so on. And so I was able to, one thing that I gathered from this is that there are a lot of opinions. There are a lot of definitions out there. Everybody wants justice. Nobody would say, oh, I don't want justice. I want injustice. But what exactly justice <laughs> is to you is, it means something different than to other people. Correct. Correct. That's goes back to play the first three books of Plato's Republic. I mean, that's the, the famous question that Socrates asked, what is justice? And he runs through a series of examples. Is it paying your debts? Is it your, I mean, so, so that, that question has an ancient pedigree. And in the context of how we've institutionalized that question and what taxpayer funds go for, I think it's a very reasonable question to ask, should that be? And I also, I find it fascinating that just as within the university, which is overwhelmingly controlled by a certain political ideology, and National Association of Scholars released a report on uh, donations to political candidates at Portland State University. 99% of those donations from faculty and staff, I believe, were to one particular party. You know what the party is, but it doesn't even matter what the party is. But also that doesn't necessarily, okay, if all the professors at MIT donate to one party, who cares as long as they're teaching general education the, the way well that, that that's because okay so this is a really important uh issue in the humanities it's not as black and white if you will it's not as will a bridge built with this material sustain weight of of, of this type at this motion etc so it's a lot of interpretation it's textual interpretation it's literary criticism it's anthropology it's uh, uh, ethical questions, business ethics, environmental ethics, these do not lend themselves to easy answers. And moral reasoning is notoriously difficult. So, okay. So he says this and you're the master of impossible conversations. That's your book, how to have impossible conversations, which right. by the way, was a very successful podcast. Like a lot of people loved it. Oh, and great. I've used your techniques Thank very you. successfully. Like Thank they're you. brilliant. That is a brilliant book. How to Have Impossible Conversations. It's my life's work. Thank Listen you. Listen to the podcast, read the book, because I really did, like, I learned, I used those techniques at the very, that very day to have impossible conversations with my kids and then with my friends and, and so on. So, okay. Thank you. You're the master. Just saying, hey, I want to have a conversation, like, about this. Maybe that's not the best way to start. <laughs> yeah, so the, the key of how to have impossible conversations how to have impossible conversations means engaging in a conversation that you think is absolutely impossible. There's a religious gulf, a moral gulf, a, a philosophical gulf, a political gulf, an ideological. There's some gap that's just so, so, so tremendous that you don't think it can be bridged. But an impossible conversation is not 
an attempt to have a conversation with somebody who absolutely refuses to talk to you. That's not an impossible conversation. That's not even a conversation. So, so let me ask you this, cause I don't really know, probably fortunately, because I know you didn't want to repeat the same things in other interviews. So I don't. I'm still, I, yeah. I'm still gaining context and tell me if I don't want to be re repetitive with anybody else, but for you, could, could you ask generally, I mean, what does racial justice mean? What do you mean? Right. And did you try that? Like what other, other I than did. just talk, going to the Dean's I, office and having him say no to you, what other things did you try yeah, to, to raise I, an issue? I did. Um, I can't even begin to tell you, but I'll begin. So I asked one of the people, I don't remember this. In, I'm trying not to use pronouns so nobody can identify this individual. I don't want any, we, we have such a, an ugly culture of doxing right now that I, I want to make sure that that's not what, how we move forward. And if anybody's listening to this, uh, you can find the uh, my resignation letter on Barry Weiss's Substack. And what I don't want people to do is start emailing and calling people names. I mean, there's enough causticness. There's enough incivility. Let's not contribute to that. So, uh, yeah. Now that I said that, I forgot. What was your <laughs> what was your initial question? Well, well, what did you try before immediately? Oh, going oh to what the did team? I try? Okay, yeah. okay. So uh, I I uh, asked an individual. That's how I got off on that because I didn't want to mention this individual's pronoun. Uh, I asked an individual who I believe was in charge, had something uh, something to do with diversity to please explain the evidence for this. I actually met this individual at a diversity training seminar. Uh, and I said, I, I, I'm sincere. I don't understand where the evidence is and I would love to learn more. And I'll even take, I'll even buy you lunch if you help me understand this. And that individual reported me to the administration. Wow. So, so let me, let me ask you a question because again, you know, the, the events, the list of events are one thing, but I, I actually am very interested in putting this in the context of your book Impossible conversations. So if I were you having read your book, I might've, you know, there's many strategies, but I might've said, listen, in theory, what he's saying, you know, is very important. It makes a lot of sense. I'm, I'm 20% there. I know you're in charge of <laughs> diversity, uh, can you help me get 90% there or hundred percent there? So I know what to say to my students. Cause they're asking questions. That it's would be a good, very, that would be a good use of your book, right? It's, it's very, uh, interesting and, uh, kind of reverse prescient, even though there's no such thing, maybe I just made up a term. That's exactly what I said to that individual. And, 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 and okay. And that's very reasonable. Like I can't even think, uh, uh, why. Maybe you had, what, what do you, so let's diagnose this. Like, obviously okay. two things, maybe they already had a preset agenda against you. Like maybe that person did not like you, or maybe you needed to do it in person instead of through an email, like diagnosis for me. This was in person. We, okay. we had the conversation in person. My speculation, and this individual doesn't speak to me as no, almost nobody speaks to me anymore uh, at Portland state. That's what happens when, and we'll talk about that in a second, but my speculation is that they Googled me or found out something about me subsequent to the conversation and then labeled me a, a moral enemy. So, and I think let's, let's linger on that for a second. It's not merely that I was wrong or missing a piece of information. Socrates is very explicit about that. He said, if everybody had the same starting information that I'll come to the identical conclusions. So it's, it's a switch from epistemology, how you know, to morality. In other words, it's not that I'm missing a data point. 
It's that I'm a bad person because I don't see it. And that's the key. Right. Let me break that down because if someone's immoral, I'm not going to waste my time. If I feel someone's immoral, I don't need to involve them in my life or talk to them. If someone is questioning, you know, an issue that I have knowledge about then, and it's my job, I have an obligation to talk to that person and explain, give them more knowledge. Right. And in this case, it's even worse because the value has been institutionalized, right? So the institution holds this as a value. And when the institution holds this as a value, all this person needs to do when this person doesn't want to speak to someone they view as a bad person is they just report him. Here's a bad person. He's asking questions. So what does it mean that they reported you? Uh, who do they report you to? I've been investigated so many times now. Uh, that came up during another one of my investigations. Like, who cares if you're investigated? You're not investigated by the police. Like, what are they, what are they going to do to you? You have tenure, you're whatever, like. Okay, so let's, let's talk about that. That's a great question. These are great questions. So, and I think these questions are important because people external to the university, they don't really understand what it means when you get investigated. Right. So uh, I'm just going to give you, so the consequences, if they find you guilty of something, can include termination. And, and what's really going on there in the background, well, I'm, I'm going to give it descriptively, then I'll give it evaluatively. So the evaluation of that is that they throw you out in disgrace, right? But so there are a lot of things going on with an investigation. I'll t I'm happy to tell you about my last investigation if you're interested in knowing about it, just as an example for this. So one of the things that happens is that it's a theft of your time. So you're just basically called in and it's very stressful too, because these investigations have real world consequences. The second thing is in the, in my resignation letter, I wrote a story, allegedly somebody, I was brought in for title nine violations and allegedly somebody accused me of beating my family. If somebody had knowledge that I'm beating my family, which is an absurd, horrific allegation, the place to do that is not to summon, it's not to tell the diversity office, it's to call 911, right? That That's a matter for the police. That's not a, that shouldn't be a, an internal matter for the university. If you know that somebody is, right. is, is, is physically harming uh, their, their wife and children or their husband and children or what have you. The second thing is, or the third thing is that that creates a kind of uh, culture of fear. It creates a kind of, um, ideological conformity where people don't want to ask questions because, or don't want to uh, challenge the narrative because they know they're going to get called into the office of diversity or deal with complaints or what have you. I have to say Airbnb has changed my life. I just love staying in Airbnbs. Like in about a month, I'm going to Cocoa Beach, which is right next to Cape Canaveral. I'm going to watch some rocket launches. I'm going to, of course, be staying in a very nice Airbnb on the beach. And it's just such a great experience. Like the whole world is available to us now because of Airbnb. But whenever I'm at an Airbnb, I always realize, you know, I the home that I left to come to this Airbnb I could be making money on that right now by hosting and, and being an Airbnb myself. So, and I've known people, I had a friend who basically, you know, made a living from turning his home into an Airbnb. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, you do have an Airbnb there. 
and it's an e- it can easily fit into your lifestyle and it's a great way to earn some money. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The spirit of performance defines Acura and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX is track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. I remember last year I was asked to go speak at the Norway Business Summit, and I was so excited because side-by-side with the Business Summit was the Norway Chess Summit, where I would get to see in person Magnus Carlsen, the best chess player ever, playing chess. But it was four plane rides like to get to the city that ultimately I would go to. So I really did not want to fly for 14 hours, and they, they were willing to pay for everything for me. So... I, I, at first class. So I didn't want to fly for 14 hours and not be first class. So I had to hurry up and get on the phone immediately to get those first class tickets to a chess tournament in Norway. And listen, this is just like when, you know, you have to know when you want the best of anything, you have to act quickly or someone else will get it instead. And I did not want those seats to fill up. So it's like if you're hiring for your business, you want to find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up. I just was talking to a friend this morning where he was trying to decide between some programmers and he waited a little too long and both the programmers he was interviewing took other jobs, like great jobs. So, you know, what's the best way then to hire the best as quickly as possible? ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates fast. And right now you could try it for free at ziprecruiter.com slash James. Just try it and see. You'll you'll find out. So ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology takes center stage to identify the top talent for your roles. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's smart technology starts showing you qualified people for it. And I know this because one time I signed up as an employee, potential employee on ZipRecruiter and I got nonstop, really, I was, even though obviously I wasn't looking for a job, I love what I do, but I just wanted to see what would happen because they were a, a, a sponsor of my podcast and the most interesting jobs would pop up in my emails like, hey, you're qualified for this or that. And so it's interesting to see. So just just go there and try it. Try ZipRecruiter.com slash James Amp up your hiring performance. Now, this is more for if you're hiring, but amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best fast.
See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. There is a line in the sand that it's a fuzzy line that has to be drawn around universities. And by the way, I'm just playing the devil's advocate here. Please, I uh, that's great. Like, if I'm a physics professor and suddenly I start teaching in a very thoughtful way that the world is flat and here's why and I and you know, if you're if you don't agree then obviously you don't you believe the bullshit of the last 500 years of science. The world is flat and here's why. Clearly that person might fall under the category of maybe he's not an appropriate professor at this university. And so there is a line where, and where is that line? Uh, well, that's different. You, well, okay. So I would, I would disagree, uh, based solely upon one thing you said, which was thoughtful. If somebody is presenting thoughtful arguments on one side of, of the coin, particularly about empirical questions, I don't think that they should be dismissed from the university. But if the same professor, you said a physics professor, every day he went in and he just started playing the guitar and did nothing else, that seems to me to be an obvious breach of contract. But I'm not talking about empirical phenomena. I'm talking about moral phenomena. I'm talking about moral issues where not only do my colleagues in the administration think that they have a right answer to moral questions, they know they have a right answer to the moral questions and all transgressors will be punished. Why did he feel the need to say that the highest imperative of Portland State University was racial justice? Did, did something trigger that? That's a great question. The way, and this is why conversation is so important. The way that you would answer that question is you would have to ask and if somebody is unwilling to have a conversation, you don't know the answer. Hmm. So that's one of the reasons why we need conversation. The other thing is now this has created a culture of fear, right? There's a, something at Portland State University called the bias response team. Anybody can be reported to the bias response team anonymously. And I believe, I'm not positive about this, but I'm pretty sure that those incidents of the bias response team go to the police. The, the campus, the campus police. I didn't know now in the pandemic with all the craziness, you'd have to fact check that, investigate that. But anybody can be reported for instances of bias to the bias response team. And then. And what does the bias response team do? Because clearly, like you say, some people have bias because they don't know something. And some people have bias because I don't know, whatever, many reasons. And, uh, uh you know, the, the problem seems to be is that you could be in, it, it, it never was the case. Like, if I wanted to offend you, I could say, Peter is a this and a that and a whatever. And then you might be offended and I shouldn't have offended you that way. But if you're, if I say something that seems whatever, it seems innocent and you're offended by it. I think the new rules of, of culture are that I'm the offender still, even if I didn't know that I offended you, if you got triggered that I'm the offender, no matter what. And I think that's the problem a little bit with all this, but, but please go on well, with what you're saying. I, I, I want to take what you just said now, and I want to build off of that because this okay. has actually happened to me. Um, not only is what you said true, uh, I, and I'll, I'll give you a story if you'd like, but you can also, there's also a, I call it offense by proxy. So you can be offended or someone can claim that they're offended on someone else's behalf who's actually not offended. 
And there's also offense by association. So if I regularly go on MSNBC, this has happened to me. If I go on MSNBC sometimes and I go on Fox News sometimes, when I go on Fox News, sometimes people get offended, even if I'm not talking about political issues, I'm going on for something else and nothing political at all. People will get offended and think I'm an offender simply because I was on Fox News, even though the topics had nothing offensive. Can we please uh, talk about that for a second? Sure. So here's the way the game is played. Something will happen. Like I'll do the letter of resignation will come out. The right wing, there'll be a feeding frenzy and I'll get 10,000 emails for everything. Tucker Carlson, Laura, every, everybody, the local guy, large, large, literally everybody will be contacting me. Nobody on the left, left of center contacts me. I put out repeated tweets. I uh, email them. I, I, I do everything. My assistant calls them. I do everything in my power to get on. They will not talk to me. I then go on uh, right and center right shows. And then what do the people on the left say? Bogosian, he only goes on right-wing media. He's some kind of a right-wing Nazi. He's a fascist. Yeah. So the way the game is played is already rigged against you because right. they refuse to have a conversation with you. I agree with that, but there's nothing you can do about that, right? It's unfortunate that that's the case. Like I, I've had instances where, because I had just been, well, it doesn't even matter. Like if, if they don't want to have you for stupid reasons, even though you're 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 obviously newsworthy because other outlets will have you uh i that that's clearly bad bad journalism and so but that happens now there's nothing we could do about that i suppose we could raise awareness but i feel like there's nothing i can do about that yeah there's nothing you can do about it but it's it's the it's the way but but that so, so we've got a lot of things going on here first of all that tells me that that media ecosystem is ill it's yeah. sick there's yeah. something wrong with it and and again i want to stress conversation not debate i'd love to have a conversation with people on the left cnn msnbc the oregonian here in town oregon public broadcasting i put a tweet out to a, a, a local guy tom hartman here who is an international show not a single person will have a conversation and we can start with something easy should the highest priority of portland state university or any public university be racial justice I and and what we, is, what that, does it mean? I still don't know. Yeah. What, what does racial justice mean? And what does it mean? It means a lot I'd love of to have that. Ah, I'd love to have that conversation. But, the, but the fact that they won't have you on. So, so you have two choices. It's you don't talk to anybody or you only talk to one, you one kind of media ecosystem, which is itself a problem. Right. But okay. But then there's, it's absurd and correct. You can, and, and you could, you could give up completely or you could hope that things will get better or you could just accept the way things are and talk to the people who talk to you and see what happens. Like it's, it's hard to get upset at the other side because we know it's ill and illnesses don't get cured overnight. But and that's, that's, that's part of the problem. The quote unquote other side is the side that I consider myself on. Yeah, I know it's a problem. I'm me too. Like it was, it's always devastating when this sort of thing happens because it, it messes with your mind if you try to fight it. Cause it's so big, the problem and you're one individual or we're a lot of one individuals. And it's frustrating when you see how fractured and, and ill the, the system is at every level yeah. in the university level or the journalism level. 
let me throw something out to you because I think this is so important. If you think that you have the truth about something, then why on earth wouldn't you want to have a conversation with someone who has a different opinion than you do? Well, for the reason you said earlier is that I think I don't want to talk to them because I think they're immoral, not because uh, they lack yes. knowledge. Yeah. Okay. So, so, so that's one thing. Now let's take that and put it in a university context. So have you seen the letter that Dr. Phil Smith, the conservative Christian wrote then published in the Oregonian? He's the conservative Christian who came to talk to my atheism class. Yes. Phil Smith was on the other side of the issue of, of faith versus atheism. And you had him in your class. I, I never say anything when a guest lecture comes in, unless it's performative, like procedural or legit. I never ask questions at all. It's a hundred percent student driven. He gave an hour lecture and, and, a, and an hour Q and a roughly the class is an hour and 50 minutes. He, he, he's a Christian. I gave my best and this getting, getting back to what we just spoke of. That's why I'm bringing this up. He gave, I gave my best arguments, uh, uh against the existence of God and why I don't think God exists. And I had an exceptionally good at the time. He was the chair of, uh, he's a conservative Christian. He's a member of George Fox, which is a conservative Christian university. I had him come and gave him full reign to present his best arguments with a Q and A to my students. Right. Which is great. If you believe you have the truth, well, why shouldn't we all do that? Right. And the reason why we, you don't see that happening is because professors look at the university as an ideology mill. They just want to replicate that ideology. They're, they're not teach, they're like they're teaching for racial justice, for example, or they're teaching for something other than the truth. But an education should not be a place where students go in and you try to reinforce either the beliefs that they have when they go in or your particular uh, dogma or ideology, which happens to be morally fashionable right now. So your point is basically that really, like, uh in an educational context, you're a professor, you have students who rely on your guidance for education in your area, that the best thing that could happen is if someone disagrees with you, hey, don't shout them down or ignore them. Invite them in if you think their argument is thoughtful, as you said earlier, and let them also speak uncontested so the students can decide. Well, uncontested by me. Uncontested, uncontested by, by me. Right. Yeah. So let, let so the I, students. I think that's a great thing. Yeah. And so but 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 we've lost that right that's not what the university has become and i just uh i don't know if you've you've seen that piece college and the culture war assessing higher education's influence on moral attitudes yes uh and and also you know so this is in the american sociological review and and essentially it says that uh uh you know they examined all these schools and the conclusion was that people made that students majoring in the humanities, arts, or social sciences, uh, they concluded that a dis, um, uh, that higher education liberalizes moral concerns for most students, but it also departs from the standard liberal profile by promoting moral absolutism rather than relativism. Relativism, which is your point, that absolutism is the danger. When you say if you don't believe X, you're a bad person, that's the problem. Right. And we've now created institutions, educational institutions, where the primary goal is to indoctrinate people. And, and listen, if anybody's listening to this and they're thinking like, well, I believe that it happens to be true. I have two things to say to you. First, great. 
then you should have no problem in wanting to have a conversation with somebody who has a different opinion. Uh, maybe not because they're necessarily a bad person, but because they have different starting conditions. Uh, and the best example of that, and and he'd be an amazing guest for your show, is Daryl Davis, the black man who goes to Ku Klux Klan rallies and talks to members of the Klan. And uh, he befriends them in a sincere way. And he has a, a closet of abnegated hoods to prove his success. Wow. So that's the first thing. The second thing is if you really do think that you have the truth about something, like if you genuinely believe that, then many things follow from that. But in an academic setting, of course you'd want to have somebody come in. But but let's say that James Lindsay and Helen Pluckrose write, write this in Cynical Theories. Sorry, the other way around. Uh, Helen's the first author. Helen Pluckrose uh, writes this in Cynical Theories. Let's say that your beliefs are 99% correct. Uh, you believe that your beliefs are 99% correct. Well, why on earth wouldn't you want to plug the last 1%? And what better way to plug the last 1% than to talk to people who disagree with you? Yeah, I agree. And so with the problem with moral absolutism is that if I believe something is moral and somebody disagrees with me, then I don't even want to talk to them because they're immoral. And so an example of this, and again, I'm just not only explaining for myself, but just in general, um, explaining for everyone, if I'm pro-choice, and you're pro-life, I can go two ways. One is I could say, oh, he's pro-life. He must be uh, a goddamn, you know, right, fascist or whatever. Like, that's horrible. And I'll never talk to you. Or, or like my business partner for 22 years is pro-life. I'm pro-choice. We have discussed this issue many times. In our 22 years of working together, and he's, you know, stands differently on many issues. On our 22 years of working together, we've never had one argument where we were angry. I mean, we've disagreed and we work it out, but even on pro-life versus pro-choice, I'm able to understand why he believes certain things and he's able to understand why I believe certain things. Oh, and that's, 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 that. that's a key, that's a key principle right there. And that's from the book, how to have impossible conversations, let friends be wrong. It's okay. Yeah. You, you don't need ideological congruity with every single belief somebody has. If you did that, you'd be sitting alone in a room. Who do you believe? So, so we have this weird, this, this additional weirdness of things happening right now in that if somebody doesn't believe exactly what you believe, defriend them. Don't forget to listen to part two, also available today, about what happened next to Peter in his battles at Portland State University and what this means for all of society. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.